Hello, brothers and sisters. Pastor Jason here. I'm excited to be back with you here on this episode. It's been a little while, but I'm going to do my best to be able to release one of these podcasts on the first Tuesday of every month. Uh, And if I get a little extra time, I would like to do two a month, but I think I can hold myself, especially with New Year's coming. We're excited about the new year, maybe be able to have a new resolution to be able to get these done. I've been pretty busy. I know everybody's got a story, but uh, I've been kind of busy doing other things and getting some online stuff built uh, for a church. So I want to talk to you on this episode. First of all, I want to thank you. Uh, there's over 5,000 downloads. And to be honest, when Anna and I started doing this, I didn't know if we would have one download or more than one. I knew I had one or two friends, but I really didn't know, uh, you know, what to expect. We've had over 5,000 downloads. That encourages us to be able to just keep sharing our, our heart. Anna and I, our heart has just been able to educate people through the word of God. And I don't know about you, but whenever I got right with God, it would seem like I couldn't get enough information And I hope that some of you have enjoyed this, but share this episode, share it with your friends, tell people about it. But I want to talk to you in this episode about something that has probably been uh, one of the greatest topics that I've ever uh, studied, that I've ever thought about, that really that I've ever battled. And I've I've worked out, the Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And this is really something uh, that I've battled with, and it's, it's it's called the law and grace. And... We all kind of know what the law is, and 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 I just want to go ahead and dive into this. Uh, uh, you know, use some experiences, use the Word of God. But uh, one of the things I want you to to tell you is is that in the Bible it's clear there were many laws, and we know the Old Testament laws. Uh, some people uh, they believe these were done away with, but that's just really not the case. Jesus said, "I come that I fulfilled the law." So he fulfilled them, but he'd never said that he'd done away with them. As a matter of a fact, he kind of summed them up. You remember the greatest commandment. He said, love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And to be honest with you, I believe the Ten Commandments were probably just a little bit easier than that. So if anything, he actually uh, put another new commandment upon us that was just as difficult. Now, we don't have the, what did that, somebody had that figured up uh, years ago, I studied that, and there was 900 and something laws that the that the, uh, of course, the Pharisees and the the Jewish uh, nation put on themselves after the Ten Commandments and after the stuff. You remember, you read in uh, Deuteronomy and and you read it in Leviticus. All the laws of the ceremony and every everything had to be washed and cleaned and nothing with a spot and how, all the sacrificial laws and and we know that the sacrificial laws, as far as us taking animals and sacrificing them, we know that that is over. But there are many laws that are still good for us. But what I like to think about when I think about New Testament law uh, and grace is because that's what came in at the cross. Grace came in. Now, God was still graceful as his people, but if you look and read the Old Testament, they were desperately under a different uh, standard at that time than we are today. Otherwise, I believe the earth would have already opened up and swallowed us all up and it had been over with. But we are under grace now. Something happened 2,000 years ago with the cross, and it put us under grace, and it put us in a different dispensation. And if you talk to many people, uh, many scholars, uh, some, a lot smarter than I, they will talk about dispensational truth. And I don't want to dive into that too much, but there was something to that. When the cross happened, it changed everything. It was a cladis, uh, it was a cladismistic shift, if you will. Uh, but but it was it was a it was a major paradigm shift in time and something that happened. But we do know 
the Old Testament uh, was the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So there were things concealed in the Old Testament then revealed in the New Testament. But but before I, I go too far, I want to say this. I believe that we all try. Once we get saved, I hope we all did. I did. And everyone I've talked to and known and about everyone I've ever discipled, I got to thinking the other day, it's a broad statement, but everyone I've ever discipled has found themselves at some point frustrated with not being able to measure up and frustrated that it just seems like they can't do enough good or enough right. And that, and having said that, in that understanding of the law, you know, God does ask us to try to perform. Uh, it's something that he asks us to do. Be holy as I am holy. I don't think that's a done away with statement. But at the same time, when we can't meet the mark, he gives us grace. And, and that's called the will of man. And God being graceful, some people call that the sovereignty of God. So one of the questions is, another way to restate it, where does the, the will of man, the sovereignty of God meet? Well, uh, that's an interesting question. If you talk to a hyper-Calvinist, they'll believe that God goes down and turns the heart of man and makes him serve him, and a man doesn't have choice. But then that's another topic in its own. But having said that, I don't believe that at all. I don't believe the Bible teaches that. But the Bible does give us the law, and it does give us grace. And I think sometimes what we try to do is we're one-dimensional as people. We try to think, okay, do I serve the law? Or do I get under grace? Well, I like to not say we serve the law, but I like to say we have good godly principles. Good godly principles. In other words, a good principle is that you shouldn't kill nobody. I think it's a great principle. If you don't want to follow that, you'll end up in the penitentiary for a very long time and cause a lot of harm and hurt to a family. But also, I think it's a good principle not to steal and not to lie. But most of us know we've all lied at one time or another. So if we make it a law, that means if we lie, then that means we just need to die or just quit serving God because we're not good enough. But see, there's no grace there. And I think we can have principles like laws, and we see principles we woven and out through Scripture from the beginning of Genesis all the way to Revelation. And I think it's important to understand that. These things, when we say do, we don't, most people don't believe that the whole law has been done away with. But they'll say things like that. They don't really mean it because they believe morally we still have a standard to live up to. But what will happen naturally in every person that I've ever discipled and in my life, I came to a place that I struggled with. It was like I could never get enough of the check marks checked on doing good. Like I tried to serve God and I was trying to do the right thing. But, you know, once I quit drinking and once I quit cussing and once I quit doing that and, you know, doing all those other behaviors that I had, there were still some things that I had to deal with. My flesh was alive and we're always going to have a flesh that we battle and there's always, and that's not a bad thing because it points us to the cross. It says the law was my schoolmaster. See, a schoolmaster, the idea of that schoolmaster was is that it drove you. You know, you got to do this. You got to do that. You got to do that. It was our teacher. It was the schoolmaster. In the olden days, there was a schoolmaster, and what they would do was they would have to ha- a schoolmaster. They would have these kids that would need to go to school, and mainly back then, only the wealthy kids went to school. Because the poor kids had to work, but the wealthy kids would go to school and they never wanted to mind. So they would send someone, not the teacher, but someone that go along with them that was called a schoolmaster and they would discipline them to where they would listen to the teacher and would make them listen to what they needed to do. And, and in God's word, we find laws, we find principles that point us to 
the, the cross that point us to the great teacher, which we know now is the Holy Spirit. And I, I love this, what it says in Second Peter chapter 1, 3 through 9. It says, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Through this, he has given us his precious and magnificent promises so that through them you may be partakers of divine nature. What does he say? Given us his precious and magnificent promises, promises, principles, and also within those promises, there are contingencies. We could call those laws, but I like to call them principles. So that through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature now that you have escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And then that's what it says in Second Peter. Then it says this, for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith, virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, and perseverance, godliness, and a godliness, brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness. So my point is, and then it says in verse eight, for if you possess these qualities, continue to grow in them, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever lacks these traits is nearsighted to the point of blindness, having forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. And boy, there's a lot in that. Second Peter chapter one, verse three through nine. I encourage you to read that. And that's it. I always use this as my spiritual growth teaching when you're talking about spiritual growth, because you add, make every effort. Now, if there is no law, and really, they're just general principles and basically just kind of like, you know, I don't know if you know, but the book of Proverbs is general principles. It's not a law, but generally speaking, Proverbs is true. It's the word of God. It's right. There's no lie in it. But, you know, there's, it, it, you can't make a law of the proverb. So basically, if God just gives us a bunch of Proverbs in the 66 books of the Bible, then and, and we just kind of just got We're just out here. We've gotten saved. We've checked that off our list. And now the power of the Holy Spirit cleanses from all of our sin. Then why would we need to make every effort to add? It doesn't make sense. We So see, there is a place in grace. This is New Testament scripture, Second Peter. And I don't know about you, but anytime I want to study some things about people that have failed, I like to look at people who have failed and then eventually got it right. We know Peter was hung upside down because he believed he wasn't even worthy to be hung right side up. But we know he failed God. We know he also failed in the flesh. He failed under the law. You remember Paul rebuked Peter because Peter thought he was going to go ahead and eat with the Jews and he didn't want to eat with the Gentile. And you remember Peter's also the one that, remember, that all of the animals came down and he said, eat of these things. And he said, Lord, I've never eaten the unclean all the days of my life. And he said, but now all things are clean. And it was a picture of showing that God was bringing the Gentile into his promises and that he didn't have to worry so much about what he ate because that was the law. And now it's under grace. So that so we were the wild olive branch that got grafted in, we know the Bible says, so thank God that, that God gave Peter that vision, but it was also saying the time of the law and keeping every check mark is over, but I'm extending my grace to other people. But see, Peter failed and failed and failed, but he still wrote about these things in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 9. But whoever lacks these traits is nearsighted to the point of blindness. He's forgotten. He's been cleansed from the past sins. So see, that's why when someone says to me, you don't have to go to church every week. It's not that big of a deal. You see, really, I'm not saying they're saved or not saved. I think there's many people that have been misled. I think a lot of times from the doctrines from the pulpit that's happened in churches, but also by discipleship. A lot of us, I don't know that I've ever in our church or any church I've known gotten discipleship perfect. We work at it, but we never sure have never met the law and got the check in the box that says we've done it perfect. 
But because people have not been discipled and us Christians haven't done our job, I believe is a big part of it, that people believe that, you know, they, they, they fall into this area that once they realize they're saved, they just give up and say, okay, well, I've got that off my checklist. I've taken care of that. Now, I believe there is a place in salvation that if you're saved, you are to hunger and thirst after righteousness. You are to hunger and thirst that you may be filled. But I also think the deceivers out there doing his work all the time on people, and sometimes they're that seed that never did come up. It's the seed that's been cast on stony ground or the seed that's been cast on the hard ground and, and the wayward. And so sometimes whether they're saved or whether or not is, is irrelevant. What I'm saying is there are some people that are beginning right faith by faith in Christ and the work that Jesus did on the cross, and they never come to this place of self-control and to knowledge they can't do it and to this perseverance and godliness. And these are steps to spiritual growth. And so the person that says, I don't need to go to church, I say that you're, you're ignorant of the word of God because it says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as others do, even as the latter day approaches. So we are to come to church. Or the people that says, oh, it's not that big of a deal. We can go ahead and we can continue in our sinful lifestyle and continue in drunkenness and, and drinking and carousing and you know, because I've done that. Because see, what happens is many times I've found is this place when you realize that you can't do it, this place of, of knowledge and understanding in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 6, you come to the knowledge you can't do it on your own. So they just give up and say, okay, God did it for me. But it's just not true because then we need to seek the next step in spiritual growth, which is self-control. And there's a ton of other scriptures I can use. I love this scripture. First Peter chapter two, verse 16 says, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Live as God's slaves. I love that. That's the NIV. I like the NIV with the best because it says live as God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as a cover up to go out and whatever you do, fornication, drunkenness, homosexuality, I don't know what the sins are, a greediness, a lying, envy, strife, all those things you do, talking bad about your brother. Don't use it as a reason to say, hey, I'm under grace, I'm not under the law anymore. And I think a lot of people, when they deal with the grace and law, that's what they do. They overcorrect. So it's like you're going down the spiritual road of life and you're in your car and you all of a sudden realize, oh my goodness, God has set me free, right? The Bible says who the Son has set free is free indeed. And what we do is we realize when we're going toward the ditch of the law, we realize we can't do it. We realize there's too many rules, there's too many principles, there's too many laws. God God said in himself, he said, love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. I can't do it. So you say, well, that's why you went to the cross, and it makes sense. I don't need to do it. So you just pull the steering wheel to the other ditch, and then off in the other ditch is sin, is sinfulness and your lust of the flesh and the pride of life. And then, you, the, the, you know, like they always say the devil will take you further than you want to go, make you stay longer than you want to stay, and make you pay more than you want to pay. And so you overcorrect. And that's what I see when it comes to the law and grace is there's an overcorrection. I, I don't think I, I have to. And doing what I do, being a pastor, and I hope you the same, I have to believe in people. Uh, I don't believe in their hearts. The Bible says their hearts are deceitfully wicked. No man can know it. But I do believe that people need to be taught. I do, and that's why I'm so I'm so adamant on people being in church service where they're influenced by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of God, and. 
I know not all churches are strong in evangelism and, and not all churches, but, but there should be an area of discipleship. There should be an area to where people have prayer meetings and things to get in contact at the scene, whatever they do to get in the spirit of God. Hopefully it's the preaching and hopefully it's, the, hopefully it's, it's, a, it's an invitation at the end to get people to make a decision to serve God. And, and hopefully that's, that's saturated with the spirit of the living God. And, and I really have a difficult time. Uh, I know some, you know, you can't judge a man by his outward behavior, but I know sometimes I see uh, no, no response in people. I see no brokenness. I know you don't have to cry to be saved, but I see no understanding that, oh my goodness, my God that loves me, but he sees everything. He knows every thought, every, every emotion, everything in my heart, everything I've ever put in my mind, and he still loves me. There ought to be a kind of way that the grace of God breaks you. It wasn't the law of God that broke me. It was the grace of God. When he told me he loved me in spite of who I was, because I was off in sin for 29 years and realized, oh my goodness, I'm not right with God. He's the answer. But at the same time, what I began to do was starting to check all the check marks and doing all the things right. And though I couldn't do them all right, I would kind of get frustrated with people. And that was one of the parts about the law that's difficult is when you begin to try to steer toward the law, you start bringing other people into these bondages. And I think that's where a lot of people have gotten burnt out on churches. They start saying, well, I do this. Why don't you do this? I do this. Why don't? Well, that's really, see, that's where your flesh can come in because your flesh wants to do your flesh wants to make people do things. Your flesh wants to force people to do things. Matter of fact, your flesh wants to force you to do things. You see, in our, I don't get too far into this. I think I've done another podcast a long time ago on this. I know I did, but but we're a triune being. So we we have a we have a spirit, soul, and body. And in our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. And the flesh wants you to believe the devil as he works in unison with the flesh because you know we have some of his dna when we fell in the garden but the flesh wants to bring you into bondage the flesh wants to bring you it, it wants to punish other people when they don't do what you want and then of course it wants to punish you and the devil wants to deceive you and make you think you don't have a choice but the truth is we do have a choice. Let no man think that when he's tempted, that he's tempted of God, but he's drawn away to his own lusts. But people would say, well, God's, no, God's not tempting you, but you're drawn away at your own lust by the power of the devil and the power of your flesh. But the flesh, there is a place that the flesh, it, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's almost like Pharaoh. I was talking to a guy. Pharaoh, when, God, uh, when Moses went to him, God used Moses to speak to him. Moses was a type of Christ. Some people say he's a type of the law. I don't want to get too much into types and shadows, but he could be both. Um, I think we need to remember, when we think about these things, it's not always one or the other, A or B, one or 10, black or white. And people say, well, watch the gray area. There's a gray, there's no gray area. Well, when you get in grace and you get into these theologies, smarter men than me have written books on this. It's 400 pages long, and I'm not sure they ever exhausted it. But my point is, is we have a we have a mind, we have a will, we have an emotion. Sorry, I went on a rabbit trail there. I'm known for that if you've listened to me very long. We have a mind, we have a will, and we have a, we have emotions within our soul. And a lot of people think, uh, you know, that that will. What is that will? That will is the things we choose to do. But but the devil and his, and his thoughts. Matter of fact, I'll say it this way: a lot of times when it comes to shame and 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 
an insult. The devil is behind that, but we've lived a life of being through trauma, been through things, and and our and our and our emotions and and our mind has been convinced that we're no good, we're not worthy, uh, we can't do we you know we can't do it you know we're, we we and 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 I know there's different degrees of that, but the devil has been sowing in seeds of doubt, discouragement, and disappointment all throughout our lives, and sometimes we we, we believe. Because of our parents, because of our grandparents, because of our siblings, whatever happened, however we were treated, we we say, you know what, we we start serving God and we can't measure up, and all of a sudden the voice in our head says we can't do it, we're no good. Well, we agree with it, and we and what does the Bible say? So a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So then we just give up. We walk away from God. We never really stick with God long enough to be able to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And having said that, I kind of got off track here, but my point is all of those things, you have to be careful. That's why it says bring every thought into the subjection of Christ. I can't just say, well, there's no law so I can go out and be evil. And because why? Because I need to make every effort to add to my faith, virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, there's temperance, self-control, same word, perseverance and perseverance. God, I had to make every effort. So see, with, when it comes to the principles and law and grace, and by the way, do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said right before he went to the cross, right before he died, the last thing he said, he said, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. As I have loved you. I don't know about you, but it's going to take some effort to do that. So if this whole thing's done and the law's done away with, why would Jesus give us that commandment? Why? Because Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, said, I want to be your schoolmaster. I want to teach you. I don't want to drive you. I don't want to punish you. But I want to push you in the right direction. I want to leave something for you that you realize that you're going to be dependent on me all the days of your life. Why would he say love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength? He knew we couldn't do it every day. He knew we couldn't do it every moment. Why? See, that was the Pharisees' problems. They thought that they had arrested God in a sense. They thought that they had accomplished something. And they pat themselves on the back and said, now, Messiah, I hope the Messiah comes. He's going to destroy all these bad people. But see, they left their first love. They forgot that it's not about a list of check marks and how you do everything right. But Jesus wants a relationship with us. And he teaches us line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. And then the grace of God is the greatest thing, and it's what transforms lives, and it's what makes people serve God for all the days of their life. But it's also not a bad thing to have some principles in Scripture. God has woven in and out of Scripture some great principles that contingencies, some promises, these magnificent and precious promises. Promises are not just promises that are given to everyone. We're promised grace. If it wasn't for grace, we'd all be dead, and we'd be in hell, God gives us grace, but he's got magnificent promises. And my my encouragement to you is keep pressing forward toward the mark of a high calling, forgetting them things which are behind, but pressing forward to the mark of a high calling because I believe that God wants to bless us. I believe that God wants to love us. And I believe that all things work for the good for those of God are called according to his purpose. We're called according to his purpose. And sometimes when we fall off into the law and we try to drive ourselves and we try to make people measure up to what we think a good Christian should do, 
and we realize we can't do it, the grace of God arises in our heart. We can truly love people how God wants us to love them. But I still think we need to make an effort. One of the hardest things to do in the Christian life is to know that Jesus did it all on the cross and my faith in him is the only thing that will get me to heaven. But I still have to do my part. And that part is to love God with my heart, all my soul, and all my strength. Friends, I hope this word's been good to you. And if you have any topics that you'd like for me to share, send me a message on Facebook. Send me a message. Send me a text. And until next time, friends, you have a Merry Christmas. Go out and enjoy your family. Have a great time. And until then, God bless.